Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, December 9th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Vladimir Putin announces his re-election bid for Russia's presidency in 2024. Joe Biden signals he's ready to compromise with the GOP over Israel and Ukraine aid. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken voices concern over Gaza casualties. Hunter Biden is indicted on nine new tax charges. Peru's ex-president is released from jail after 16 years. A watchdog group sounds the alarm on dangers for journalists worldwide. A Texas judge grants a pregnant woman an emergency abortion. The U.S. FDA approves a breakthrough sickle cell disease treatment. X, formerly Twitter, reportedly adds 10 million new users in December. And McDonald's spins off a new chain to compete in the beverage market. Vladimir Putin announces his re-election run. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, CNBC, The Cable, Forbes, CBS, and Fox News. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced on Friday that he will run for re-election in 2024. He made his announcement after a Kremlin award ceremony for military veterans and posted a video statement after the event, declaring his decision. Putin has led Russia for about 24 years, serving as the country's president and prime minister during alternating terms. The 71-year-old is unlikely to face any serious opposition and is poised to secure another six-year term when Russians cast their votes on March 17th. Putin's current term expires on May 7th. Many at Friday's ceremony honoring the so-called Heroes of Fatherland Day urged him to seek another term. Artem Zhoga, Speaker of the Parliament of the Donetsk People's Republic and the father of a deceased Ukraine war veteran, asked him to run for re-election. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that Putin's announcement was made spontaneously in response to a military official's question, and Putin was not facing a camera when he revealed his intentions. He has served four terms as president and one as prime minister, and recent amendments to Russia's constitution could allow him to serve two more terms until 2036. In his announcement video, Putin said, quote, I won't hide it from you. I had various thoughts about it over time, referring to how he would handle his political future. Some analysts believe that Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine has pushed him to run again despite speculation that he wanted to find a successor to replace him in 2024. While Western critics question the legitimacy of Russia's elections, Putin remains highly popular in his country and won 76% of the vote in the 2018 election. Public opinion polls show his approval rating soaring even higher after what he deems a, quote, special military operation in Ukraine, with 82% of Russians supporting him. Thanks, Eric. Sputnik International brings us the pro-Russia narrative. By popular demand, Vladimir Putin is seeking re-election to continue serving as Russia's president. Despite Western lies and smears, the Russian people recognize and appreciate Putin as the national hero that he is. In the face of Western expansionism, Putin has put the sovereignty of Russia above all else and refused to bend the knee to Western hegemony that seeks to destroy the Russian nation. His re-election is going to be a popular shoe-in. The anti-Russian narrative comes from The Telegraph. Vladimir Putin held his, quote, unscripted presidential announcement conveniently at a military ceremony in the Kremlin as he wields autocratic power despite massive Russian casualties. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has caused thousands of deaths and completely diminished Russia's standing in the global community. Yet his carefully coordinated media pushes propaganda that keeps him, quote, popular among Russians. His re-election campaign smacks of continued autocracy. 
And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community. This time, they say there's a 50% chance that Vladimir Putin will cease to hold the office of president of Russia by December 2027. As usual with this stuff, the uh, the grand question is, if it's not Putin, then who is it? I'm ignorant. I don't know who it would be. You know, a super solid Russia under Putin is frightening, but a uh, like an, an anarchy Russia with no one at the wheel is even scarier, I almost feel. I think it really depends on what he gets paid for a living. Have you seen what he drives? No, what does he drive? <laughs> it's true. I think that there's something to be said for paying politicians a big enough salary that they don't get swayed by, you know, you hear about some of these, and this isn't, this isn't Putin, but you hear about like, oh, this congressman was swayed by a, a factory in his district. They gave him $5,000. Like, ugh, we could have given him $5,000. Like, right. if that's doing it, like, what's the problem? What are we doing? Right, right. They gave him $83. That's, so obviously oh he's going to vote their way. Like, oh, my goodness. Oh, well, sure. Biden willing to compromise after Republicans block Ukraine and Israel aid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Al Jazeera, The Hill, and France 24. United States President Joe Biden has said he's willing to make significant compromises on the country's border policies after the issue became a key stumbling block for advancing his roughly $100 billion national security package in Congress this week. The funding request includes allocations for securing America's southern border with Mexico, military aid for Israel and Ukraine, and funds for humanitarian aid. Before the package went to a Senate vote on Wednesday, Biden reiterated that the potential failure of the proposal would have disastrous consequences for Ukraine, adding that it would be a gift to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Quote, if Putin takes Ukraine, he won't stop there, Biden said, claiming Russia would subsequently attack a NATO country, resulting in American troops fighting Russian troops. Nonetheless, the bill failed to reach the 60-vote threshold needed for all 49 Republican senators voted in opposition. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, also voted against the bill. With the death toll in Gaza exceeding 15,000 civilians, Sanders has called for placing certain conditions on America's military aid to Israel. Speaking after the vote, Biden said Republicans think they can get everything they want without any bipartisan compromise. That's not the answer. And now they're willing to literally kneecap Ukraine on the battlefield and damage our national security in the process. However, he also stated his willingness to make significant compromises on the border, saying we need to fix the broken border system. Senator James Lankford, Republican of Oklahoma, who has led Republican negotiations on seeking to impose greater border controls, said he was encouraged by what he heard, stating that it seemed like the president is ready to be able to sit down and talk. With only a few days left until Congress breaks until next year, senators of both parties acknowledge they will need to move quickly if a deal of any sort is to be agreed. Scott, thanks for the facts. CNN gives us the first spin. It's a democratic narrative. Biden has demonstrated that he's willing to make serious compromises in order to pass this hugely important aid package for Ukraine. However, Republicans must now do the same. If they continue to take a hardline approach, it will kneecap Ukraine on the battlefield and degrade America's national security. This bill must be passed as soon as possible. Deseret News brings us the Republican narrative. Republicans want this bill to pass just as much as Democrats do. However, a key caveat is that the crisis at the southern border has to be addressed. Figures show that roughly 10,000 people are illegally entering the U.S. each and every day. That's nearly 3.7 million people per year. Democrats must take this issue more seriously so that talks on the spending package can proceed. 
The Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 38% chance that Congress will approve additional aid to Ukraine before 2024. Antony Blinken says there's a gap in Israel's intent to protect civilians. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Anadulu Anjazi, Reuters, Euronews, Associated Press, and BBC News. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said on Thursday that there remains a gap between Tel Aviv's intent to protect civilians and the results on the ground in Gaza, adding that Israel is obligated to, quote, do everything possible to put a premium on protecting civilians and maximizing humanitarian assistance. Since the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas ended a week ago, Israel has ramped up bombings on the Gaza Strip, killing and displacing hundreds of residents. The U.S. had called on Israel to avoid civilian casualties. Blinken's comments came after reports that at least 17,000 Palestinians have been killed and more than 46,000 injured in Israel's military offensive against Hamas since October 7th. That's according to officials in Gaza. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization warned on Friday that civilization is on the verge of collapse after intense urban warfare continued on Friday throughout the Gaza Strip's major cities, with street battles being fought in Khan Yunus and Jabalia. Although Israel has designated Muwasi, a small piece of largely underdeveloped land along Gaza's coastline, as a safe zone for displaced Palestinians, the UN and locals describe it as an unsafe makeshift tent camp with squalid conditions. This comes after the UN Security Council met Friday for a vote on an Arab-backed resolution calling for an urgent ceasefire in Gaza, which the U.S. vetoed following UN Chief Antonio Guterres invoking of Article 99. Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-Israel narrative from Jerusalem Post. Though this has been a tragic war, Israel can't allow Hamas to survive. Hamas seized upon last week's temporary pause to mark Israeli positions and prepare itself for continued attacks on Israeli forces in Gaza. Indeed, the pace at which Israeli forces maneuvered in Gaza threw Hamas's military leadership off kilter. Israel will have to work intelligently in its campaign in the south of the Strip to fully eliminate the terrorist group so it can never launch an attack like October 7th again. Middle East Eye gives us a pro-Palestine narrative. Israel continues to demonstrate that its war isn't against Hamas, but against the Palestinian people as a whole. Nowhere in Gaza is safe, and Israel has effectively rendered the north of the Strip unlivable. Unfortunately, the temporary ceasefire only gave civilians a few days of relative rest, and now Israel has returned to killing Palestinians at an unprecedented rate. The U.S., Israel's biggest ally, must exert more pressure to end the war. And a nerd narrative prediction from Metaculus. There's a 5% chance that the International Criminal Court will bring charges against Benjamin Netanyahu before 2026. Hunter Biden indicted on nine tax charges. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, CNN, Fox News, USA Today, and the Associated Press. Hunter Biden, son of U.S. President Joe Biden, Thursday was indicted in California on nine tax charges three felonies and six misdemeanors as a result of special counsel David Weiss's investigation. The younger Biden faces state charges of failing to pay at least $1.4 million in self-assessed taxes between 2016 and 2019 and evading a tax assessment in 2018 when he filed returns that were falsified. Previously, Biden in October pleaded not guilty in a federal court in Delaware to gun charges brought by Weiss's probe. The 56-page indictment said Biden spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle rather than paying his tax bills. These charges come after earlier this year, Biden's plea deal fell through, with a judge calling it unusual. 
Also, two Internal Revenue Service whistleblowers told Congress they thought Biden should have been charged with tax crimes that were more stark. Meanwhile, U.S. House Republicans are continuing their impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, with Hunter's overseas business dealings at the center of their suspicions. So far, there has been no evidence of Joe Biden's involvement in his son's dealings. Thank you, Scott, for the facts. Daily Caller gives us our first spin. It's a Republican narrative. These charges prove that the IRS whistleblowers and GOP have been right all along about the Biden Department of Justice being in the bag for the administration. The DOJ got caught offering the president's son a sweetheart deal. So now Hunter Biden must face the consequences of his actions, and there must be more investigation into what else the president is hiding. And the Democratic narrative from the New York Times. If anything, the DOJ's extraordinary decision to charge the president's son shows that justice is being served. While these charges are serious, they pale in comparison to what former President Trump and his Republican allies had predicted. Though the current president's re-election campaign might deal with some distractions from Hunter's case, Joe Biden is not named anywhere in this indictment, as opposed to his likely opponent Trump, who is facing dozens of indictments in multiple jurisdictions. The Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 25% chance that President Biden will be impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. A Peruvian ex-president has been released from prison after 16 years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, Guardian, BBC News, DW, and CS Monitor. After the country's top court granted him a pardon in 2017, former Peruvian President Alberto Fujimori, who had been serving a 25-year prison sentence for human rights abuses during his presidency, was freed from Lima's Barbadillo prison on Wednesday. Despite objections from the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, Peru's highest court supported an appeal to restore a 2017 pardon for Fujimori who has served around 16 years after being extradited from Chile in 2007 on humanitarian grounds. The 85-year-old left the prison compound with his lawyer and two of his children, Kenji and Kaiko Fujimori. Kaiko is the ex-president's political heiress and three-time presidential candidate. Although followers hailed him for saving Peru from economic collapse and terrorism, Fujimori was found guilty of bribery and abuse of power. An estimated 69,000 people died as a result of his government's crackdown on two violent insurgencies. Fujimori, who governed Peru between 1990 and 2000, resigned as president at the beginning of his third term and fled to neighboring Chile in 2005. In 2009, two years after his extradition, Fujimori was convicted of ordering the murder of 25 Peruvians between 1991 and 92. Previously, UN Human Rights Commissioner Volker Turk had stated that allowing Fujimori to walk free would be, quote, a worrying setback, and that any humanitarian release of those responsible for serious human rights violations must be in accordance with international law. Thanks, Eric. We have a Narrative A from Human Rights Watch. Alberto Fujimori was an authoritarian strongman who abused democracy and committed atrocities in the battle against the Shining Path guerrillas. As he remains a highly divisive figure in Peru, Fujimori's comeback undermines Peruvian democracy and will seriously affect the country's rule of law. The Associated Press has Narrative B. Lower courts have repeatedly revoked Alberto Fujimori's 2017 pardon in response to demands from the families of the victims and the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. However, considering the 85-year-old's poor health, It is time to show mercy to the man whose efforts and policies once saved the nation from spiraling into catastrophe. And another prediction from Metaculus, this nerd narrative says a 50% chance that Peru's GDP per capita will be at least $20,900 international dollars in the year 2030. 
94 media professionals were killed in 2023. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Committee to Protect Journalists, the New Arab, Press Gazette, and Associated Press. 94 journalists have been killed doing their jobs and around 400 imprisoned so far in 2023, the International Federation of Journalists, or IFJ, said Friday. The Israel-Hamas war this year has led to the deaths of more journalists than any conflict in the past three decades, the Paris-based organization said, expressing deep concern for the safety of media members reporting in conflict zones. In addition, the separate New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists has found that as of Thursday, at least 63 journalists and media workers had been killed in the Israel-Hamas war that began on October 7th. The dead include 56 Palestinians, four Israelis, and three Lebanese. Many of these fatalities reportedly came from airstrikes, which also claimed the lives of the journalists' families. Besides the Middle East, the IFJ has noted that journalists have also lost their lives in Ukraine, Afghanistan, the Philippines, India, China, and Bangladesh this year. Scott, thanks for laying out the facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A, coming from Columbia Journalism Review. The death of scores of media personnel in conflict-hit regions like the Middle East and Eastern Europe demonstrates both the courage of the professionals as well as a blatant disregard for civilian life among the warring factions. Even if not all allegations of, quote, systemic targeting of journalists can be proved, there are numerous high-profile cases. The plight of journalists worldwide to report objectively in conflict zones is vital to civil society and media members cannot become collateral damage. Narrative B comes from the Pangean. The dangers facing journalists on the front lines are overwhelming. It may be tempting for warring parties to offer a safer alternative, embedded journalism, which we have seen in the Israel-Hamas war and dating back decades. Integrating journalists into military operations can reduce media casualties, but it comes with the price of distorted information reflecting state and corporate interests. It's important to avoid the temptation of pursuing embedded journalism as a solution to the perils of reporting on the world's most deadly conflicts. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 50% chance that there will be at least 12 active UN peacekeeping missions in the year 2032. A judge grants a pregnant Texas woman an emergency abortion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by PBS NewsHour, Daily Mail, CNN, and CBS. Texas District Judge Maya Guerra-Gamble on Thursday granted Kate Cox, a pregnant 31-year-old mother of two, permission to have an abortion under a narrow exception of the state's ban on the procedure, which was adopted after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in 2022. Gamble has ruled in Cox's favor after hearing that her 20-week-old fetus is fatally impaired and carrying it to term could damage Cox's chances of having another child. She has received emergency treatment four times since her current pregnancy began. Gamble issued a temporary restraining order after Cox last week sued the state to temporarily block the law. Texas law prohibits abortions after six weeks. In addition to the six-week ban signed by Republican Governor Greg Abbott in 2021, Texas also has a law, which was triggered by the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, making it a felony for a doctor to perform an abortion unless the mother's life is in danger. Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton accused Gamble of being, quote, an activist judge and threatened to prosecute any medical personnel involved in providing a woman an emergency abortion. Thanks, Eric. We have a right narrative spin from Town Hall. There's no reason to legally challenge this law. Texas is a leading state in being innovative and bold in protecting the rights of children, including the unborn, as evidenced by the results. Abortions are down. 
There are also pregnancy centers that can be accessed as important resources to help mothers. The state must appeal this ruling and win. The left narrative comes from NBC. This law is cruel and strips a decision that should belong to a woman and her family to give to the state. Cox needs this procedure and the judge was right to grant this exemption. The courts must clarify the conditions when an abortion is permitted and obviously include Cox's situation within those parameters. This is another sad commentary on the decimation of reproductive rights after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 5% chance that elective abortion will be banned nationally in the United States before the year 2030. The FDA approves the first gene-editing treatment for sickle cell disease. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS News, NPR Online News, NBC News, and The Guardian. The U.S. FDA on Friday approved a breakthrough treatment for patients suffering from sickle cell disease, painful ailment that affects roughly 100,000 people across the U.S., primarily people of color. Sickle cell disease makes red blood cells bend into inflexible sickle shapes, thus preventing the normal delivery of oxygen in the body and causing bone deterioration, organ failure, and strokes. The FDA approved two treatments, one called Lifgenia from the company Bluebird Bio, and the other, Casgevy, by partners Vertex Pharmaceuticals and CRISPR Therapeutics, both of which use patients' own blood cells and are approved for people 12 and older. The Casgevy therapy works by removing a patient's cells from their bone marrow, editing the genes, and then infusing the body with billions of modified cells. Kesgevi helps restore the normal function of red blood cells by producing a form of hemoglobin called fetal hemoglobin. In data provided to the FDA, the treatment fixed severe pain for at least 18 months for 29 test subjects, or 96.7%. The therapy from Bluebird Bio does not use the same gene-editing tool from CRISPR. Both companies have marketed their therapies as one-time cures, but the medical director of the Comprehensive Sickle Cell Disease Treatment Center in Massachusetts, Shar Azar, says he's very reticent to call them a cure because patients will still have sickle cell in their bodies after the treatment. The only long-term treatment is a bone marrow transplant. According to the Nonprofit Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, the new therapies are also expected to cost $2 million per patient, with that price not including the cost of care such as hospital stays or chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is used beforehand to ensure no flawed stem cells remain in the body. Interesting facts. Thank you for those, Scott. The first spin is Narrative A coming from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. These treatments are a medical marvel that will help better the lives of roughly 100,000 African Americans, as well as Hispanic Americans across the country over time. With the FDA's approval, doctors will now be allowed to take a patient's own blood and replace the faulty red blood cells with new, genetically edited healthy ones, thus bringing long-awaited relief from the horrific pain and fatigue typically associated with this disease. Narrative B comes from Nature. While the use of gene editing is remarkably good news for those with diseases like sickle cell, the public should also have a seat at the table when debating the potential harms of this new medical tool. For example, as voluntary procedures like the newly approved treatment are widely seen as positive, potential future uses like creating desirable traits in babies are seen by many as unethical. It should be noted that this treatment has not been documented as a cure just yet. We have a nerd narrative as well for this story coming from Metaculus. They say there's a 62% chance that an inorganic nanoparticle-enabled cancer therapy will be approved by the FDA before 2031. The ex-CEO says the platform added 10 million users in December. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Phone World, Al Jazeera, and The Morning News. 
Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of X, formerly known as Twitter, announced Thursday that the platform has gained 10 million new users this month. This comes after X's owner, Elon Musk, said in July that the company, which doesn't regularly release its data, had 540 million monthly users. However, Yaccarino's announcement lacked any specific comparisons to the platform's typical monthly growth or how many of these new users were paying subscriptions. This comes amid an advertising boycott on X, joined by companies including Apple, Disney, IBM, and Lionsgate Entertainment. The advertising boycott came after Musk's controversial posts regarding Jewish people and a row involving Media Matters. Musk has since sued Media Matters and has publicly made emphatic and profane comments regarding advertisers. Other major brands that have stopped advertising on X were Coca-Cola, Jeep, Merck, and Unilever. CNN reported in September that half of the platform's top 1,000 advertisers had already decided to suspend advertising last January. The impact of new users has yet to be determined on X's financial outlook. The decrease in ad revenue is reportedly expected to result in a $75 million loss by year's end, according to a New York Times report. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from ABC News. Musk was absolutely right when he called his recent tweet a massive mistake. Not only did he push anti-Semitic propaganda to his millions of followers, but he gave even more advertisers a reason to stop spending on his financially depleting company. X has already lost 50% of advertising revenue since the billionaire acquired the company last year, and now he's losing the select few who still stood with him. The Guardian gives us narrative B. No one can deny X's financial troubles. But that doesn't mean the platform is doomed. Whether you agree with him or not, Musk is a fighter for free speech. Even regarding his recent controversial post, billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who has led the fight against anti-Semitism on college campuses, called out the hypocrisy of other social media companies not facing boycotts despite displaying similar content on their respective platforms. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, they predict a 5% chance that Twitter's net income will be higher in 2023 than in 2022. McDonald's to launch beverage chain Cosmics. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, CBS, CNBC, The New York Post, and The Wall Street Journal. McDonald's has announced that it will open a new spin-off chain called Cosmics, the company's first new restaurant idea in the U.S. since its establishment. The restaurant, named after an orange alien mascot from its previous commercials, will offer iced coffee, all-day egg McMuffins, and multiple drive through lanes in an attempt to compete with beverage giants like Starbucks. The company said it will open its first location later this month in Bolingbrook, Illinois, near its Chicago headquarters. The sample menu, which McDonald's said is rooted in beverage exploration, includes drinks such as the Churro Frap, S'mores Cold Brew, Popping Pear Slush, Sour Cherry Energy Burst, and Vitamin C Shots. CEO Chris Kempsinski said the goal of the new chain, which will be able to make customized drinks difficult for McDonald's restaurants to make, is to participate in the $100 billion afternoon beverage pick-me-up occasion market. He noted that the menu would also include sweet and savory treats, such as a spicy queso sandwich, a creamy avocado tomatillo sandwich, pretzel bites, and caramel fudge brownies. McDonald's, which plans to open an additional nine Cosmics in Texas next year, first revealed its spinoff plan in July. Though photos of the Illinois location began to circulate earlier this week on X, formerly Twitter. The company is using the new chain to experiment with new restaurant layouts that are smaller and include paying with a credit card at the ordering window to speed up service times. 
Entering the customizable drink market will pit McDonald's against beverage giants like Dutch Brothers and Starbucks, the latter of which estimated in August that cold drinks make up 75% of its U.S. beverage sales. While some analysts have said that the smaller layout could yield higher returns using fewer staff, others aren't so sure about how the company will run the chain parallel to its primary restaurant. News of the chain comes as the company announced Tuesday plans to open an additional 9,000 McDonald's locations globally by 2027, which would be a 4% growth in 2024 and 5% in the following years, totaling 50,000 restaurants worldwide by the end of the period. McDonald's said this would cost around $2.5 billion in capital expenditures, up from the $2.2 billion to $2.4 billion originally estimated for 2024. Thanks, Scott, for the facts. Narrative A comes from Inc.com. McDonald's has been at the forefront of the fast food industry for decades, but it's also been eyeing the success of other businesses and the menus they offer. If done right, McDonald's can combine its world-class restaurant services with its number one most popular food app and thus start swaying the younger, sweet, drink-craving generations away from the likes of Starbucks and into its customer base. Narrative B from CBS. While business is certainly booming for the beverage industry, which of course makes other companies want a piece of the pie, a sugary drink arms race is the last thing people need in this world full of unhealthy diets. Several Starbucks drinks double a person's recommended daily added sugar intake, more than a can of Coke. The trend line people should actually follow is that as profits go up, heart health goes down. Eric, I'm being serious here. I think that the existing coffee options at McDonald's are really good. I think they have really good iced coffee ingredients. My issue, and if anyone at McDonald's is listening, is the consistency. If you ask for an iced coffee with cream and sugar, it's never the same amount of cream and sugar. If you ask for you know, one cream, two sugar, it's never the same. Whereas if you go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, if you ask for a customized, it's the same every location. So what are your bones to pick with McDonald's? The ice cream machine. Are they going to have that at the Cosmics? Well, I mean, they're going to have it, but it's going to be broken. So I mean, okay. it's just be, they might as well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, December 9th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.news and download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Podcast.